Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying for you to experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives, learning to live like Him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of His followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. If you are a guest today, you've joined us for the final message in our series, Parenting, Winning the Battle for Your Child's Heart. We really are glad that you are here, and I want to encourage you to get the whole story of this series later especially if you are in the active parenting season of life, I'm sure that the whole context of this series will round out what we talk about today. You can find it on our website, YouTube channel, or on your favorite podcast platform. Every Christian parent sets out to raise their kids to be Jesus followers. None of us looks at that precious little newborn face and thinks, boy, I hope he or I hope she grows up to walk away from Jesus. And yet it happens all of the time. I think most of us enter parenthood a little naively, thinking that either we're going to do it better, at least differently than our parents, and thereby get different results, better results. Or if we had great parents, we think we can just rinse and repeat with our kids and get the same results. It doesn't take us long to figure out that parenting is hard. Sure, there are lots of joys along the way. But parenting isn't for the weak-hearted. And that's without taking into account the culture war we find ourselves in. But the truth is, our culture, which is under the domain of Satan for this season of time, is doing its very best to undermine the role and authority we have in our kids' lives. It's fighting to diminish our influence as it woos their hearts away from Jesus. It's a battle we're determined not to lose. So we fight with wisdom. And wisdom tells us that we want lifelong influence in our kids' lives. Parenting doesn't stop when they turn 18. As anyone with older kids will tell you, there are seasons when you are actively parenting your adult children. Although don't tell them that. We'll just let that be our little secret. Uh, of course, it looks different to parent an adult child, but when crisis and trauma enter their adult lives and they need wisdom to navigate that crisis and trauma, well, where do you want them to turn? To social media? 
to the empty philosophies our world is peddling? Or to you? We want lifelong influence. So we are parenting with the relationship in mind. That's the North Star guiding us as we navigate the ups and downs of those first 18 years. If we can rise above the short-term challenges by keeping our eyes on the long-term prize, we'll keep those short-term challenges in the right perspective. We'll be better able to determine which short-term challenges are hills to die on and which ones we can let go of and lose strategically for the sake of a long-term relationship. Now from that idea, we looked at the four seasons of parenting and how our parenting style has to change throughout those seasons as we help our kids grow. Uh, we learned that our child has a different relationship with us than we do with them, which gives our words great power to give life or destroy it. We learned that our marriage matters, that a healthy Christ-centered marriage that models mutual submission is the ideal setting that provides the security and safety kids need for their healthy development. But even when our real is less than that ideal, if we work toward the best ideal that our real can provide, God's grace does a pretty good job at filling in the cracks. And then last week, we covered discipline. And we're reminded that our rules should be tied to a who, not a what. Uh, that is, when discipline is necessary, it's because of a broken relationship with a who. And because every relationship is unique, we should take the time and intention to appropriately design consequences to restore and repair that broken relationship. This kind of discipline actually prepares your children for their adult life. First and foremost, it prepares them to listen to and obey God. But it also helps them understand the law of consequences, which could keep them from stumbling into stupid before the higher reasoning centers of their brains develop in their mid-twenties. Now, if you've been able to navigate all of these areas fairly well, you'll have subtly woven the character of Jesus into your kids' lives. But we don't want to be subtle about it. We want our kids to more than just simply accept Jesus as their personal savior. That's not the finish line. That's called fire insurance. It's called crossing all the T's and dotting all of the I's for, for salvation. But it doesn't stand very well against the storms of life. It's easily distracted. Easily, it's easy to deconstruct and abandon. What we really want is for them to embrace a Jesus-centered lifestyle. We want them to grow into deeply rooted, fully devoted followers of Jesus which of course won't happen during the 18 years that they are at home with us. It takes much longer than that. We aren't looking to make them Bible scholars by the time they are 18. We do want to set them up for success on the right path with a desire to pursue Jesus wherever he takes them. We want their faith to mature as they mature. Like it or not, feel prepared for it or not, qualified or not, God has entrusted the foundation of their spiritual journey into your hands. For the first 18 years of their life, you are the most influential person in their lives, whether they let you know it or not. And you can't outsource this responsibility. Sure, when you have a, a church like Dayspring with, a fa with fantastic children's and student ministries, you have partners to help you. Especially when your kids get to the age where they talk less to you. 
but even then, you are your child's primary spiritual caregiver. As Andy and Sandra Stanley write in their parenting book that we've been referencing throughout the series, somebody who's not you can teach your children the books of the Bible and the stories contained within. But only you can demonstrate day by day, season by season, what it looks like to allow the teachings of Jesus to shape decisions and relationships. Which is really good news for you. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do what you need to do. You just need to allow the teachings of Jesus to shape the decisions and relationships and, and live that out in front of your children. They need to see you practice what you preach. And when you mess up, see you work to, res to restore and reconcile, reconcile broken relationships. Easy peasy. Although a word to the wise... <laughs> A lack of integrity between what you say and how you live will more than likely send them running away from God, not toward him. If they don't respect your faith, they're not going to want anything to do with it. So no pressure. Now, if you've been here or watching online for this series, you already know that the Bible is pretty light on specific parenting principles. And some of what it does, what, what little it does say has been misused horribly during the past two millennia. Uh, for example, as we already discovered, Proverbs 22.6 says to direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, if you're like me, you've heard this verse used time and again as a promise that our wayward children will eventually come back to Jesus. But alas, it isn't a promise for parents, but a warning if we don't discipline our children in a wise way when they are young, they will continue to make foolish choices when they become adults. Wise parents guide their children to be self-aware and self-controlled, which pays dividends for their entire lives. We find what is probably the most relevant passage about parenting way back in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the final book of Moses. It contains his last sermons for the Israelites before he dies and they enter the promised land led by Joshua. In chapter 6, he encourages them to stay faithful to the law given to them by God himself. Beginning in verse 4, he says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So repeat them again and again to your children. Morning, noon, and night. Wherever and whenever you are, saturate your conversation with the truth of God's word. Every moment is a teaching moment. This is as specific as it gets, which isn't too specific, as you can see. And that means we have a lot of freedom to figure out how it works best for our family. No two kids are the same. No two families are the same. Kids have different learning styles, different temperaments. What works with one may or may not work with the other. But think about this. The Jews had 615 moral, civil, and religious laws handed down to them. That's a lot to teach. 
And history proves that they didn't teach it very well. And, and by the time it got to Jesus, the Pharisees and Sadducees had made a mess of what all of those laws even meant. They had their own interpretations, which made things really muddy when their interpretations conflicted. Jesus made it much simpler for us. We have one law that supersedes all of those 615 laws. We call it the law of love. Love each other the same way Jesus loved us. Everything in the New Testament finds its roots with this one law. Love does what love requires. So we only have to remember one law and apply it to every situation. A funny thing, the capital C Church has been just as bad at teaching and living out our one law as the Israelites have been with their 615. The bottom line here is that we have a lot of freedom in how we teach our kids to live by the law of love. And for the rest of this message, I'd like to quickly unpack five principles that might help to shape the way you repeat that truth again and again to your children. For you grandparents, you can easily adapt these to the moments that you get with your grandchildren. So first, emphasize a personal relationship with God. Biblical love is not remote and disconnected. It is intimately invested and personal. Since God is the very definition of love, that means he is intimately invested in each of our lives. He weeps when we weep as much as he celebrates when we celebrate. He has plans and purposes for each of our lives that are as unique as we each have been created. He crafted his plan for each of us with all of our skills, abilities, passions, and life experiences in mind. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Scholars have long debated whether God has a specific plan for each person or whether we have the freedom to decide. You can see a case for both views in Scripture. What I do know for sure is that when we pray, Father, please show me your will, we posture our hearts and minds to hear what he has to say, which is a good place to start with your kids. Teach them to pray, Father, please show me your will. And then simply, and that simple prayer will teach them to expect this personal God to show them. It will keep them looking up and looking out as they watch for the answer. When our kids were little, we'd pray with them every night. You could easily incorporate this into your regular prayers with your kids. And if you build this habit with them, it will come back to them at other times whenever they don't know what to do. And speaking of prayer, that leads us to the second principle. Pray together in every season. Though we prayed with Josh and Lexi every night until about middle schoolish. This is one I wish we had done more of, or at least continued longer. I also wish I had been more creative. Uh, both of our kids dealt with night terror, so we prayed very intentionally with them each night. And that prayer became our routine because they needed the reminder that God was watching over them while they slept. But it would also have been a great time to plant other scripture into their, the fertile soil of their minds. We could have taught them the Lord's Prayer as we prayed, or any number of the Psalms and Proverbs, 
over time, those verses would have been written on their hearts and done even more good than the simple reminder that God was watching over them as they slept. If you've never prayed with your kids at night or stopped when they began to get bigger, it might be a little awkward to start again. But don't let that stop you. And don't let your hang-ups about praying out loud stop you either. As kids get older and their schedules get wonky, you might have to be creative about when and where you pray. But pray together. Prayer increases our intimacy with Jesus. It tunes our hearts to his. And if you can train your children to pray without ceasing, as the Apostle Paul would put it, it, it will pay dividends in their lives for life. It will become a part of their everyday, in-the-moment conversations with God as they mature in their faith. The third principle we want to look at is teach your children to pay attention to their hearts. Now this principle comes straight out of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now the implication in this verse is that if you forget everything else, don't forget this. Guard your heart. Guard your heart because everything you do on the outside begins on the inside of you. Most of the adults I know aren't very good at guarding their hearts, let alone know how to help their kids learn to guard their own. Uh, think about it. When were you ever taught, taught how to guard your heart? If you had good parents, you were probably taught to guard your behavior. But if behavior is an outside activity that flows from an inside heart condition, then shouldn't we learn to guard our hearts above all else? The questions we ask our kids communicate the things most important to us and that we think should be most important to them. Did you finish your homework? Have you brushed your teeth? Did you clean your room? All of those questions focus on outside behaviors and completely bypass the heart. And I'm not saying we shouldn't ask them. But what if we were to learn to ask these kinds of questions as well? Is everything okay in your heart? Did anyone hurt your feelings today? Are you mad at anybody? Are you worried about anything? Did anyone break a promise to you today? Is there anything you want to tell me but you're not sure how? These are just a few examples that the Stanleys give in their book. And because you are such smart people, I'm sure you can already feel the difference between outside questions and inside questions. Emotional health determines relational health and ultimately impacts behavior and performance. Besides, besides you, who will pay any attention to your, your child's heart, let alone coach it toward the values we, cher we cherish most? And think about it this way. If the heart is the early warning system for behavior, just think of how many things you could head off at the pass if you caught them before they worked their way out into unwanted behaviors. And maybe in helping your kids learn to guard their hearts, you'll learn to guard yours as well. Now the fourth principle to consider as, as you train up your child in the way he should go, be open about your own faith journey. For our children to develop a lasting faith of their own, they have to understand how faith intersects with the real world. It's one thing to know in your head that the Bible says to show compassion or be kind or love your enemies. But it's an entirely different thing to actually be compassionate, 
kind, and loving, especially when it's hard. Kids today are struggling under a weight of anxiety, fear, loneliness, confusion, rejection, the fear of failure, disappointment, peer pressure, and a lack of hope. That's a lot of weight to bear. The good news is that Jesus really does help in all of these and other areas of struggle. But your kids need you to help connect the dots between the pages of the Bible and everyday living. So this is where your own story can help. You've felt lonely. You've been anxious. You've been afraid to fail. Look for opportunities to talk about how your faith informed or should have informed your actions and reactions in your everyday life. Not just in your past, but even in the present. When you have a hard day and you don't react well to someone's passing comment, that becomes a tool that God redeems when you can connect it to your child's story. Don't hide your failures. Be, be appropriate, of course. But seeing how you recovered from failure can be more helpful than making your kids think that you walk on air. It gives them permission to put their own failures in the proper perspective. Years and years ago, Lexi said something to the effect that she wished that God would speak to her like he does to me. I doubt she even remembers what I said in response. I barely do. But I wish I had told her how many times I felt in my life like God was silent. Then maybe she wouldn't have felt like something was wrong with her. I wouldn't have felt so alone in her struggling walk with Jesus. We want our kids to know what faith looks like and feels like in the real world, in both our successes and our failures. Jesus really does impact everything we do and say when we let him. God has given you a story to tell. Start telling it at home. Bringing us to the final training our kids up in the way they should go principle. Keep your children engaged in church. Parents, there will come a day when your kids talk to you less. It happens to all of us. There will come a day when by the time you realize there is a problem, there's been a problem for quite some time. If your kids aren't going to talk to you, who do you want them talking to? I guarantee you it isn't someone on the internet. I could tell you stories of online trolls trying to steal, oh, steal away our children here at Dayspring. You want them talking to people who share the same values that you do. You want them talking to people who have an in when you are out. For that to happen, your kids have to have a relationship with those kinds of people. Ones they trust enough to let into their deepest, darkest places. Ones they trust to talk about their fears, failures, and doubts. Now, as a side note, parents, if you want your tweens and teens to continue to talk to you, you'll have to build a culture in which it's safe to talk to you, which will require three skills that most of us aren't very good at. First, you'll need to learn to ask good questions. Second, you'll need to learn to listen. And third you'll need to learn not to panic. In fact, not to respond at all. Now, this is what I mean. Odds are that your kids are going to try to use their words as a weapon every now and then. 
Things like, I don't even believe in God anymore. Or some other inflammatory statement. Instead of going into fix-it mode, you need to learn to ask good questions. Like, oh really? What do you mean by that? And then listen. Ask, listen. Ask, listen for as long as they'll talk. And then, because you aren't panicking, at least on the outside, end, with, end the conversation with, well, I've guessed you've got some hard things to figure out. Let me know if I can help. And then be done. If you can prove that you are safe for the inflammatory statements that they probably don't really mean, but if you challenge them, will become intractable positions. If you can be safe for those, you'll be safe for the others. But many of those conversations will happen with other people in their lives that they trust. And again, who do you want those people to be? As we've already talked about in this series, our kids are statistically more likely to stick with church when they become adults when they are connected to five other adults in their Christian community. These are the adults that they will begin to talk to when they won't talk with you. We've seen it happen time and again. But those relationships aren't just built in a moment. They take time. And the more church and youth group when that time, becomes, uh, when that time comes, the more the church is an option for your family, the less relational equity those people will have with your kids. The more you zip in here after the service has started and zip out quickly at the end, the less relational equity those people will have with your kids. And believe me, you will want them to have that relational equity. There are some things that other people can say to your kids that they'll never hear from you. When your kids get to the age where they can serve on a team at church, which is about middle school, help them find a team to serve on. We get how important this is. We'll help you help your kids find opportunities to serve. And even if your kids are younger, every now and then we have opportunities for younger kids to help out. During COVID, when we were still learning how to live stream, we didn't yet have tally lights, which is what the light that flashes either green or red on a camera is called. Red means that camera is live. Green means that camera will be the next to go live. Because we didn't have in-person church at the time, this room looked a little bit different. We didn't have all the chairs set up. And each week, we had some of our younger kids, the younger kids of our tech team, helping out. In particular, they would literally run between cameras so that whoever was on stage knew which camera was live. None of the adults had the energy to keep that up for an entire service. One week, we'd have Gabe White with his flashing shoes that would light up as he danced between the cameras during worship. And then the next week, we'd have Nathan Burtz, who finally threw himself down on the floor and refused to budge because the worship leader, who was not me that day, wasn't following him, and that ticked him off. <laughs> Jacob, David, Ellie, and Noah helped as well, probably a few others. But the point is, when we can find opportunities for kids at any age, we take advantage of it. We'll help, and not just because we need volunteers. But because we know what helps your kids build relationships, time and proximity, serving together over time. We are partners with you, committed to the emotional and spiritual health of your entire family. Okay, now five principles. 
emphasize a personal relationship with God, pray together in every season, teach your children to pay attention to their hearts, be open about your own faith journey, keep your children engaged in church. Now, of course, there are many more ways that you can help your kids find a faith of their own. This is just fodder to prime the pump. Get creative. But as I look at this list, I don't see anything that requires a seminary degree. You are already qualified to tackle all five of these principles in your family, even if you don't feel like you are. So let's, let's end with this quote one more time from author Christopher Yuan. The primary goal of Christian parenting is not necessarily to produce godly children, but first and foremost, to be godly parents. Who knows? Maybe in helping your kids develop a faith of their own, you'll deepen the roots in your own. Let's pray. Father, we've been quite on, a journey, on quite a journey the last six weeks. As we've looked at the incredible privilege and responsibility of raising children. Of helping precious little humans become Jesus-following adults. We pray, Father, that the, the truths that we've talked about would take root in our families. And our families would become healthier. Whatever the real is right now, may, there, may the ideal be a God-honoring family life that raises kids who love Jesus more and more and more every day. When things aren't going well, give us the courage to, to, to ask for help. We, we entrust our kids into your hands. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives, and they want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you 
to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.